Hello, and welcome to Off the Cuff. I am your host, Chris Martinson, and on this program, every week, we are going to bring you a fascinating guest, where we are going to discuss the economy, energy, or the environment, informally and without a script. Welcome, Mish. You know, there's a lot going on. I'm looking at my uh, screen here. I'm seeing that the Dow closed just below the all-important psychological 15,000 mark at 14,995. Sounds like a sale. And it's been chopping around for a while. But the big story for me this week has been watching interest rates, watching the 10-year start to climb. And I know that's off script for our own central bank, but I see that other central banks across the world are fighting a similar story. And, you know, one of the themes I work with on my site is this idea from the outside in, meaning that if you're watching the periphery, that's a great place to get your signals that something's about to change closer to the core or the center. And so there's peripheral currencies, and we're looking at the rupee, the rand, the Australian dollar. Uh, when we look at the Greek uh, debt markets, we're looking at uh, emerging markets. Uh, I see a lot of weakness everywhere, and it's starting to smell a little bit like from the outside in. And my suspicion is that interest rates are starting to get away from the central banks, and that is entirely unwelcome, off-script and the worst thing that we could possibly entertain from a rescue, save the world standpoint, if we're a central banker, would be falling bond prices, which would be coincident with falling equity prices, the exact thing they would fear the most. Oh, exactly. I've got a screen that I keep up on my um, e-signal all the time, and it's just like monthly closes, the 30-year, the 10-year, the 5-year and uh, uh, three months. Uh, the symbols are, you know, TLT, IEF, etc. Those are the things that I'm just tracking. The in, in just over a year, the ten year has gone from 1.5 to 2.23. The thirty year has gone from, well, I don't have an exact quote here, but just over 2.5 all the way to 3.375. Uh, even the five year is climbing. It hit a low near. 50 basis points, and it's now uh, at 1.14. So interest rates rising across the board. There's been a fierce sell-off in emerging markets, and you are absolutely correct that a lot of this stuff um, rots from the outside, you know, in, and everyone huddles around the safe assets, which in this case, for some reason, people seem to think it's U.S. equities. But I think this is going to spread. I think it's going to be lasting. The uh, We have mortgage interest rates up 76 basis points in the last month. That has put a damper. I've called around several places. Uh, refis have collapsed down 50% or more, a couple of brokers are telling me. Um, one of them said that it's starting to hit the um, new housing market. Others, another one said it hasn't hit it yet. I think the emphasis here is on the word yet. So all kinds of bad things are happening simultaneously and globally. Emerging markets, Australia, Europe, China, and of course our favorite uh, uh, political buffoon, uh, Francois Hollande hmm. came out <laughs> with perfect timing uh, just two days ago and said the crisis is over. Wow, 76 basis points on the mortgage rate. Let me just put that in context. So there's 100 basis points in a percent. So that's better than three quarters of a percent. And for every 1% that mortgage interest rates rise, that takes about 10% 
of the price off of the value of a home if you have people who are angling for the monthly payment. So roughly speaking, if you can afford a $200,000 house at 3%, at 4%, you can only afford a $180,000 house because the payments are exactly the same, roughly. But, but that's a good rule of thumb. So for every percent you get a rise in interest rates, what you get is a 10% decline in, in uh, the affordability index for, for people. And so you know that the Federal Reserve, the one of the last things they wanted would be a steep, sharp sort of a rise like this in mortgage interest rates. So let's speculate. What's driving this rise in interest rates? Well, um, <laughs> reality said again, <laughs> finally. I, I think that's what I would say. Now, the, the weird thing to me is both the Financial Times and the Wall Street Journal pinned this on th- that the Fed, the sell-offs in emerging markets, currencies was uh, that the fed would stop its qe program later this year and i'm sitting there thinking really i'm thinking that this is what happens when a bubble bursts and a huge part of numerous bubbles were widespread two things widespread belief that growth in china and india would last forever we had hot money you know plowing into these emerging market uh, countries and also into commodity producing countries like australia and those are on hard times. So, you know, the China growth story has ended. It's, it's, it's here. I don't, uh, the market's finally beginning to recognize this. The crisis in Europe obviously has not been fixed. The U.S. is slowing. Is the Fed really going to stop QE? If they do, if they do, I'm going to admit it's possible. It's because the market forced their hand or Alternatively, they, they, the, the, the Fed has come to the conclusion, which they would never admit, that you know they've blown these big bubbles as big as they want them to get. I agree with that. But let, and let me just back up a, a chunk and, and disagree with the conclusion of that uh, Wall Street Journal, New York Times articles that you're talking about there. Because uh, if indeed we're seeing this sort of decline from the periphery because people are front running an eventual possible maybe taper in, in the Fed's buying program later this year, Listen, the markets don't don't trade that far uh, ahead usually. Uh, they'll start pulling back when when uh, the the Fed actually starts tapering. Maybe a little in advance of that, but it's mm-hmm. very far away. What are we talking? Maybe by the end of the year. Mm-hmm. Um, and the second thing is, I uh, lit this past week I noted that junk bond funds saw a yep. record four point six billion in outflows in the week that ended last Wednesday. So this is junk grade debt. That was a record amount. So this is one of the largest amounts pulled from these mutual funds that are dedicated to junk bonds. And, you know, that was a place I was looking at as, as clearly was in bubble territory. We'd hit all-time record low yields. It was due for reversal. The reversal has started, but let's add it up. We're seeing a withdrawal from junk grade debt. We're actually seeing a withdrawal from all all debt at this point in time with yields pretty consistently rising across the board. The JGB, the Japanese government bond market, is a mess being halted many times a day, you know, sometimes. Uh, and it's spiking uh, and gyrating wildly. So I'm getting the sense that we're at a turning point here. Maybe they'll get it under control, but I feel like something has slipped in the machinery. Something off script is happening here, and it doesn't feel healthy. Oh, my gosh, yes. And, you know, things happen when things get the silliest. And I talked about this actually just on Monday, where banks are doing these covenant light loans again. This is the same thing we saw in in 2007, right before the bust. 
They're doing, you know, the, the Fed's pumping all of this money, and the banks want to do something with it. Businesses don't want to expand, so they've driven the corporate bond market down to insane levels of interest rates, and they're not using the money to hire. They just keep rolling over loans at perpetually lower and lower rates. Even someone like J.C. Penney, a company I believe is headed, likely headed for bankruptcy, arranged a covenant light loan that was arranged by Goldman Sachs. It doesn't say that Goldman Sachs is a buyer of this thing. And now there's a, you know, surge in commercial lending, and, and there's talk of bubbles, finally. You know, all of these things are happening at once, and um, I'm looking for who said this, but, oh, a analyst uh, for Wells Fargo said, you know, this is the return of the silly season. <laughs> and it has been. And the thing is, by the time anyone recognizes this, yep. it's too late to do anything about it. Yep. And we're seeing the market reaction right now. These so-called Cov light loans, I, I noted those back in, in May. I was observing this as well. For people who aren't familiar, um, Cov light means covenant light. And the covenants typically, they set parameters that can do things like force a company to stay within certain debt to earnings ratios or keep earnings above a certain multiple of interest payments or something like that. And then if the covenants are breached, the creditors can then insist on a financial restructuring. So you're a company that does not have good access to borrowing because you're probably not a very healthy company. So hat in hand, you go out and you agree to all these fairly onerous, sometimes very poisonous covenants just to get your hands on some money. Well, here's here's the thing that caught my eye was that as of, I think by the end of May of 2013, 50% of all the leveraged loan issuance in the year were Cov light loans. So that means we were just throwing caution to the wind, uh, mm-hmm. not ex- not putting any covenants on these loans that ought to have had because it was so much money flowing into junk bonds. Well, you're just going to get in trouble with that. And by the way, that was twice the level seen even at the height of the insanity in 2007. That is just, yep. we're not only there, we've exceeded there. It's, it's the, amazing. Yeah, the covenants are there. Just one final comment on this for people who don't understand precisely what we're talking about. The covenants are there to protect the lender. In this case, the lenders have just thrown absolute caution to the wind. They are chasing these loans out of fear that they're going to lose market share and that other banks are going to pick it up. And, and I wrote on my blog that this sounds very similar to a statement made by Citigroup CEO Chuck Prince when the music stops in terms of liquidity, things will be complicated. But as long as the music is playing, you've got to get up there and dance. We're still dancing. He said that in August of uh, 2007, and he was shown the door, forced out of Citigroup three months later. So the same kind of thing is going on here now. And like I said, if the Fed does stop this QE, it's not going to be because the economy is weakening. It's because they're scared to death that they've caused another silly season. Well, it's already too late. The cat's out of the bag, and the consequences are now about to be felt. And what's interesting is uh, many of the Federal Reserve presidents, these are the regional presidents like uh, Fisher out of Dallas, 
have been talking about their concern about QE. Uh, they, of course, they're not voting members of the FOMC typically, so right. they, they don't really have any say. So, so they're out there trying to run real businesses. Typically, the presidents come up through the banking system. You know, they, mm-hmm. they've actually run businesses, banks, all of that. To be on the FOMC, well, you're kind of appointed. You know, remember we had uh, that guy. Kevin Warsh on there, what was he, like 38 years old and had been a political animal his whole life and, and got put on there by Bush. And so, you know, the, the people who are on the FOMC making these big decisions about how much QE to do typically have not had uh, as much operational experience as the presidents out of the banking system over there and the Fed system. So it was interesting to see that the tension between those those two crowds. And uh, they've been quite open about their concerns about the risks, uh, the risks of like, can the Fed even unwind this even if it wants to, if the market starts to lead and interest rates start to go up and the Fed is forced to start selling its portfolio out, does it have mm-hmm. the, does it even have the operational capability to do that? No, it's untested. We don't know if they can put a mm-hmm. trillion dollars of assets back into the market. Uh, no clue. Right, exactly. And Bernanke's stepping down, you know, I think he's doing it on purpose here. He claims that it's, you know, taking too much of his personal life or whatever. Now, he's still going to be um, on the Fed and a voting member of the FOMC, as I understand it, but he no longer wants the job of, of, of being the president. He's going to hand over the problem to, more than likely, Janet Yellen here, who is the biggest dove on the entire Fed. So it'll be curious to see exactly how all of this thing here plays out but I suspect Bernanke realizes he needs to get while the getting's good. And I, I think if he had any real smarts, he'd probably just leave and go back to, you know, private life and then blame it all on, um, you know, Janet Yellen when this thing blows up. But we know, you know, who the problem is and where the problem is. And it, it's, we're having these problems again because of the policies of the Fed. And people think that, you know, the Fed is omnipotent, that they can keep this, these bubbles going forever. I think they're about to find out otherwise in a serious, serious, serious way. I think too many have spotted too much credit to the Fed. I'll agree with that because, you know, there are times when the Fed can lead and then there are other times when the Fed is forced to follow. So if you remember, it wasn't that long ago, but late 70s into the early 80s, the Fed was in following mode. It was powerless to do anything but follow what the markets had dictated. And they've been able to be in a, in a command environment for a long time because we've had generally declining interest rates. And so people have accepted that as the new normal, saying, well, the Fed can just control interest rates. And they've been able to. But what we've seen this past couple, three weeks, maybe getting on three and a half weeks now, is watching the interest rates get away from the central banks. When those interest rates get away from you, there's nothing you can do but follow the market at that point in time. So, you know, those Covlite loans, that covenant bubble, if we could call it that, oh my gosh, the dangers to loan investors, uh, you know, right now it's being characterized as, well, when the Federal Reserve begins to tighten monetary policy, those Cov bubble loans are going to be, you know, there'll be trouble. Like, well, that... (laughs) How about if when the markets decide to turn interest rates higher, then they're in trouble as well. So it's, you know, the Fed might do it or the market might do it. And we've right. forgotten about the market. That's that's the thing that's interesting to me is how many people have forgotten that the markets are actually a powerful force and actually bigger than all the rest of it put together. Absolutely. Central banks, in my opinion, can only enhance the current trend. They can't change it. Uh, I think interest rates were naturally heading lower because of the slowing economy. The Fed goosed that 
once the market has decided something else needs to happen, the Fed is, I believe, powerless to stop it. And, you know, the irony in all of this, especially for all these emerging markets, remember how Brazil was, was threatening, you know, bitching about this currency war with the United States, the, the real was too high, now they're acting to support it with multiple interventions in the last month trying to prop up the price of the real because it's fallen too far. You know, this is one of those cases, and Japan is going to be a huge case of this. Be careful of what you ask. And the real is plunging, and uh, I think the same thing is going to hit the yen more than Japan even wants. And heaven forbid, when they the, the time comes, and it is going to come, when they you know, act to prop up the market, and the market doesn't prop up the value of the yen, and the market doesn't cooperate. Well, yeah, the, the yeah, what's happening in Japan is is uh, is truly frightening. It's been interesting watching people like uh, Joseph Stiglitz and, of course, Krugman and other people coming out and and doing what I call premature cheerleading, saying, "Look, Abenomics works, and it's it's awesome." Yeah. You know, it's yeah. you know, but when you look at the I don't know if you've been following it, but but some of the underlying trade data that I'm looking at for Japan looks awful. It doesn't look like recovery. I've seen a recovery in the stock market. I've seen that they've managed to weaken the yen to a certain extent, although it's, that's certainly reversed over the past week and a half. But the trade data just looks, it, it's not consistent with the kind of recovery that they're saying uh, was supposed to be coming their way. And uh, I, I think it's way too early to call success on that. In fact, I think that with the gyrations in the markets, I'm seeing an unstable, fickle, uh, and therefore kind of dangerous market. This volatility is a direct result of fractional reserve lending, lack of gold standard, and inept policies by central banks. Ooh, that's well said. All right, I'll go with that. <laughs> with, <laughs> I, I figured you'd agree with that. With that, I got to run. As always, a pleasure talking to you. I will catch you in seven. All right, Mish, talk to you then.